0: The next speaker we have is Dr. Chris um, Lassig. He is also on Twitter under the Twitter tag of AstroCave. So if anyone is um, into following our speakers, um, he's at AstroCave. Dr. Chris Lassig is a theoretical particle physicist, I'll slow down, turned science writer and performer. So you can hear him on Lost in Science at 8.30 in the morning or evening. Morning, 8.30 in the morning, over there, (coughs) sorry, Um, on a Thursday um, on 3CR Community Radio. So please welcome Dr Chris Lassig. August the 6th, 1945. 100,000 people die when the atomic bomb is dropped on the city of Hiroshima. Albert Einstein, who, um, who six years previously had recommended the bomb be built to stop the threat of Nazi Germany and hoped that it would never be used, he deplored its use on Japan and dedicated his life to peace. In England, the captured German physicists, who never actually tried to build a bomb were still nonetheless put on suicide watch due to the despair they felt over the, what their science had wrought. In America, Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Manhattan Project, resigned his post and, shortly after, started pushing for a ban on nuclear weapons. But there was one man, there was one man who looked at the explosion, who saw the unprecedented devastation and thought, I think we can build something bigger. (laughs) Edward Teller is known as the father of the hydrogen bomb. Uh, He was the kind of man who puts his obsessions ahead of things like human decency and even scientific integrity. (laughs) You know, sometimes we excuse this when it's for a noble cause, but Teller's cause seemed to mostly just be blowing things up with nuclear weapons. He certainly fit the image of a villain. Uh, He was born in Hungary, so he spoke with an... No, that's not... I will give examples of good Hungarians later on. But he, um... When you heard him speak, he sounded like Bela Lugosi, like the same accent. Or if you don't know what that is, that's like the Count of Sesame Street. Uh, his colleagues at the Manhattan Project described him as having intense, riveting eyes, and he had these, this bushy forest of eyebrows. And he also suggested that he was the, the real-life inspiration for Dr. Strangelove from the, from the movie of the same name. Yeah, that is, that is of course, absolute rubbish, because um, obviously Strangelove was German, not Hungarian. Uh, also, uh, in the movie, he has this uncontrollable arm, whereas Teller, he was his right foot that was prosthetic. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so complete rubbish. Oh, the real reason, though, is that strange love in the movie is a Nazi, whereas Teller definitely hated Nazis. Okay, so he was, um, he was born in Budapest in 1908. His father was a successful lawyer. But when the communists came to power in 1919, yeah, they made it rather hard for the family. Fortunately, that didn't last long because the fascists soon took over. Um, that got even worse because they hated Jews and Teller being Jewish was forbidden to go to university. So in order to study science, he migrated to Germany, which worked out about as well as you can expect. Uh, He did study under Heisenberg while he was there, but eventually he uh, managed to escape in 1933 uh, to Copenhagen via London, where he worked with Bohr for a bit, and then he eventually moved to America. And In 1939, he was the one who drove his fellow Hungarian physicist Leo Szilard to meet Albert Einstein to get him to sign the famous letter to President Roosevelt that recommended the construction of the bomb. Uh, Shortly after that, Uh, Teller joined the Manhattan Project to actually build an atomic bomb. But he got kind of sidetracked by the notion that the fission bomb they were building could be used to set off a more powerful fusion explosion. Okay, so nuclear fission, for those who don't know, is when you have a large atom like uranium or plutonium and it splits apart, releasing a lot of energy and all these neutrons. And the neutrons go off and strike other nuclei, causing them to split and so on in a chain reaction. Now, to make this to actually work, though, you need to have a lot of these atoms all very close together. Uh, Now, the trouble with being in a bomb is it tends to blow itself apart. So you can only keep the chain reaction going for just so long. Uh, And there's a limit to the power you can get out of a fission bomb. But fusion, on the other hand, which is where you join isotopes of hydrogen together to make helium, which is the reaction that powers the sun, all that requires is really high temperature and pressure, which is exactly what you get from an explosion. And the, the bomb that you make out of this would be called a thermonuclear weapon. And in theory, you can make it as big as you want it to be. So yeah, uh, this wasn't Teller's original idea. It was actually mentioned to him in passing by Enrico Fermi. But he loved it. Uh, he started drawing up plans for bigger and bigger bombs. But there were a few practical issues with it, not least of which that you still needed this fission bomb to set it off. So that's where Oppenheimer, who was in charge, decided to direct the efforts. Uh, but Teller wouldn't let it go, and this is one of the things you find, the themes you find in his history, is that when he latches onto an idea, he just won't give it up, no matter how unworkable everyone else says it is. Plus, he was quite bitter at being passed up for the head of the theoretical physics division. So, yeah, he caused a lot of trouble. Uh, Oppenheimer eventually had to give him his own little unit to stop him basically interfering in everyone else's work. (laughs) Nevertheless, so he was present at the... Uh, the first test of a nuclear weapon in New Mexico. Uh, He was one of the few who watched the explosion against regulations uh, using welder's goggles and he later said that I have looked into the eye of the beast and I was impressed. (laughs) Okay so They used the bombs, the war ended and as I said Oppenheimer started to shut things down and he and his colleagues eventually declared that building a hydrogen bomb was both unnecessary and immoral. However everything changed in 1949 when the Soviet Union exploded their first atomic weapon. It's believed to be partly with help from a Soviet spy who had actually been working on Teller's team. So after that happened essentially building a hydrogen bomb seemed like a matter of urgency and President Truman ordered an accelerated program with Teller in charge. Uh, so he got extra resources that, that he needed to solve the technical challenges, but he still, he really struggled as a, as a leader. In fact, he believed that the, the staff at Los Alamos were still loyal to Oppenheimer, and they weren't fully committed to his uh, new program for a hydrogen bomb. So he, got, he persuaded the powers that be to actually, actually even set up a completely new rival facility, which is now the, Los Al- sorry, the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Nevertheless, he was still... By um, well, the time they did the first test in the South Pacific, he felt that he wasn't going to be welcome at the testing site. Uh, yes, he still didn't get along with people. And he watched the explosion alone from a darkened basement in the University of California in Berkeley, uh, watching a tiny spot of light on a seismograph as it recorded the vibrations coming through the Earth. But look, where he really... Uh, kind of got made himself an outcast from the scientific community was in 1954 when he testified against Oppenheimer at a security hearing because this was the height of the the McCarthy era and Oppenheimer had kind of come under a bit of suspicion because partly because he had links to communists in the 1930s but also because he wasn't seen to be fully committed to Teller's hydrogen bomb program. So yet, Teller was called in to testify, and he essentially said that he didn't really understand Oppenheimer, and he preferred that the country's interests were in hands that he could trust. And as a result, Oppenheimer's security clearance was revoked, and this made Teller an outcast from the scientific community, which was a huge blow for him because he left his home country behind long ago, and basically everyone he knew was in science. So he suddenly found himself a pariah. Fortunately for him, though, he did make new friends in politics. Uh, And they were more receptive to his ideas, even if it um, it seemed like it was only just the one idea. Um, I'll give you some examples. In 1957, when the Soviets launched the first artificial satellite, Sputnik, uh, Teller was put in charge of a committee to work out how the US should respond. His recommendation, explode an atomic weapon on the moon. In 1958, Uh, He had an idea to use a multi-megaton bomb to dig a mile-long harbour in Point Hope, Alaska. Yeah, apparently some some environmentalist said it could harm the local wildlife. Uh, What else? Um, Extracting oil from tar sands in Canada? Bam! Nuclear weapon. Uh, Weather control. Turns out you can explode a hydrogen bomb in the ocean. Bam! Artificial clouds. <laughs> uh, killer asteroids. Uh, bam! <laughs> Teller has an answer for you. In the 1980s, he became an advisor to Ronald Reagan. And he was the main driving force behind the Strategic Defense Initiative, or the Star Wars program. And this is where, this is a plan to mount X ray lasers on satellites and use them to knock out incoming missiles. Uh, now, that actually sounds like it's acting against nuclear weapons, but um, what do you think was going to be used to power these X-ray lasers? <laughs> <laughs> Look, that one turned out to be another one of his unworkable ideas, as was the kind of a, the dream underlying it, which was to have a winnable nuclear war. You see, me, I, I grew up in the 1980s, and during this last gasp of the, of the Cold War, back when Reagan, un, with Tell's backing, was trying to ramp things up, and essentially force the Soviets to back down. And so when I became a physicist, I felt that we as a community owed the world kind of a debt of guilt as it. And to me, this is something, there's a path we shouldn't go down before. And even, even here in Australia, where it doesn't really matter that much, you know, there were jobs of physicists in defence and I knew that was out of the question for me. And I think this is why I have a problem with Teller, because he basically believed the complete opposite. Uh, he died in 2003 before he could do any further damage. Um, his last big obsession, which wasn't directly related to nuclear weapons, was involving geoengineering, which is where you basically try and block out the sun to uh, counteract climate change. And this is, typical. this is typical of Teller's approach to things, because he didn't actually believe that climate change was a threat, however you know, faced with the temptation of being able to control the weather using technology, he couldn't resist. There are, there are many, many stories, more stories I could tell you about Edward Teller, but I'll, I'll finish with one, which is also from his time in Los Alamos. Uh, it basically it was reported that he had a blackboard in his office with a list of all his hypothetical nuclear weapons. And at the bottom of the list was the biggest one he could think of. And in the column headed "delivery," which is essentially how you get the bomb to its target. It simply said, "Backyard." Yeah. This is a bomb that was so big, it would wipe out all life on earth, so there was no need to take it anywhere. Yeah, it sounds like a joke, but this was a man who could seriously contemplate building such a thing. Uh, and it's easy for us today to forget how close we all came to being wiped out. And, but I think it's surprising to learn how much of that danger all came about from the, the crazy obsessions from one man. Thank you.